Welcome back to another edition of Coaching with the Bible. This is episode, guess, 144, season three, episode 35, portion of the week here in Israel is the portion known as Korach. The portion in the everywhere else in the world other than here in the land of Israel is the portion known as Shlach. On some level, those are twin stories, both not good. Last week, the story of the spies. This week, the story of the rebellion in the camp, effectively leading to a, a mini civil war of sorts. And I think perhaps one of the sadder stories in the entire Bible. Our topic of the week is on being a great communicator. What we're going to look at this week is how does this story help us in our day-to-day, in our ability to communicate? We're not necessarily going to focus on Korach. We're going to focus more on the Dathan, Abiram, Moses moment. And pick apart a little bit here how it is when such a situation arises for us, how could we do it, for lack of a better term, differently? How could we be a better communicator or become a great communicator, and by extension a greater leader, when such moments arise? That isn't to say that, you know, one of your children or your spouse or someone on your team at work or a friend or a community member is looking for all-out rebellion. It's more of a question of when they are communicating with you in a certain way, in a certain tone, how are you responding to that? How are you understanding that? How are you taking action in those moments? And so there are a lot of ways to do that. And the question is, how do you do that best to succeed best and to sort of come out of the other side with a great result? Sort of my thinking here is, the Bible tells us this story. It's a, it's a very difficult and painful moment in the Bible. And the way the story ends in the Bible itself is actually rather brutal. And the story ends with a fairly harsh punishment for all those involved in the rebellion. And on some level, as I mentioned two years ago, we talked about crisis leadership. It doesn't actually solve the problem. The people are still stressed, anxious, upset after this rebellion is quashed. And so I was thinking sort of, okay, how do I, how do I pull from this for my own situations? How do I do it better? How do I communicate better in my own life, in my own world with the people that are around me? So when you think about sort of what's going on in situations like this, there's a lot being communicated There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of people involved. There's a lot that is said. There's actually a lot that isn't said. And so it it requires unpacking. It requires like really understanding at a deeper level what's going on. When you think about it, 
Here's a great sort of quote to sort of think about how to understand what's happening in situations like this when there's a lot going on, there's a lot of communications, a lot of people, there's a lot of heat. It's in the wake of a lot of not good activity that came right before it. And so here's one way to think about it. It's a quote from somebody by the name of Bernard Werber, which is this. Between what I think, what I want to say, what I believe I say, what I say, what you want to hear, what you believe to hear, what you hear, what you want to understand, what you think you understand, what you understand, there are 10 possibilities that we might have some problem communicating. But let's try anyway. Because communication is hard. Being sure that what is said is understood and understood in the way that the person who said it wants it to be understood requires a lot to go right. And it's sort of very precarious because the likelihood that one in those one of those 10 possibilities is going to be wrong. And then what did you do? Maybe you conveyed some information. Maybe some sort of veiled understanding is there. But certainly a high level of ambiguity is going to be there too. And so can you do it differently? I was sort of tinkering around when I was preparing for this presentation. And I, you know, sometimes when, I, I, when I'm trying to flesh something out, I'll have an idea, I'll put some words down. I'll, you know, of late in the last number of months, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it into ChatGPT to get, you know, a little bit further and wider in the thinking and explanation and some of the language. So I jokingly asked ChatGPT to play executive coach to Moses in this moment. How should Moses, how would you coach Moses to handle this moment, this situation differently? Now, it's not, I'm not doing this to question Moses. That's not the idea. As I said, the idea here is for us to think about these moments when conversations get heated or when someone is standing up to our authority or our vision of something. So like, you know, what's our response? Like, how do we, how do, we do that? And that's exactly what happens here. So Dathan uh, and, and Aviram, children of the tribe of Reuben, firstborns, or one of them is a firstborn, but they're brothers, they come into this situation and they're backing Korach, at least minimally, they're backing Korach and the 250. They're part of this rebellion. And so Moses sort of has a moment here as to how to handle this. We talked about this a couple of years ago. We've talked about this in other places. There's a difference sort of between tactical leadership and adaptive leadership. And this is an adaptive moment and not a tactical moment. And it's not sort of the way Moses leads. Moses leads tactically. It's a longer conversation on the subject. But this is an adaptive moment. This, needs, this is a moment that needs innovation. It needs difference. It needs creativity. It needs, you know, some approach that, that could maybe get a solution. I'm always sort of wondering, could there have been a different solution in this story? Could they have gotten to a different result? Could there have been a way that it ends where Korach's rebellion is ended and 250 plus people do not end up in the ground? I have no idea. 
I imagine that Moses is not expecting the, the ground to open up in such a way and it's going to be the, the destruction, at least when the story starts. It's really not what anyone else in the nation expects to happen when he goes to the tent, when he goes to their tent. That is how the story ends. Some people are burned and some people end up in a pit. And so it's interesting to sort of attack it in that way. The beginning of the rebellion, Korach, the 250, and Dathan and Aviram, they come to Moses with a complaint. And they're complaining against Moses and Aaron, effectively. So it would appear in their argument, they're taking on both the spiritual leadership and the governmental leadership of the people. That seems to be. So they're taking on Aaron, they're taking on Moses. Their claim is, you've taken on too much, too much responsibility. It shouldn't be yours. Everyone's holy. As we described last year when we talked about persuasion, and I recommend going to listen to the last year's presentation, and we described two years ago, we talked about crisis leadership. So right there in that moment, there's sort of like, what do you do in that moment? How do you handle that moment? What is your approach to that immediate moment? And Moses immediately, his first reaction is he falls on his face in verse 4. And then he speaks and he goes right to the test the next day, the solution. Almost doesn't even acknowledge the the question being asked, the rebellion being that, that is brewing. Now, maybe that's the right way to go. Maybe responding in kind or engaging the conversation is not exactly the way to handle this moment in this space, in this time. Or maybe Moses knows from the beginning that we have to crush this rebellion because, as I mentioned two years ago in the crisis leadership piece, because the bigger piece here is saving the Jewish people, saving the people of Israel. And if we allow this to fester any longer, more people are going to lose their lives. And it's only going to get worse. It's only going to, you know, go down that hill into the rabbit hole any further, a black hole ending in real destruction that maybe there's no way out of. So Moses goes right to a solution in verse 5. Only in verse 8 and 9 does he actually speak to them, and 10 and 11 speak to them about what it is that they say, And he goes right back at them. In the immediate aftermath of that, verse beginning verse 12, Moses is now taking on the others. So he's not focused now, let's say, on the spiritual leadership, the issue of uh, priest, the priestly uh, priesthood, excuse me. He goes to Dathan and Aviram. And he wants to now deal with the issue of the leadership. And he calls them to come to him. And they say no. There's like astonishing language in verse 12. We're not coming. We're not going up. The language in the Hebrew is we're not going up. And they go further. Not only are they not coming, they they do take a shot at Moses. You took us out of a land of milk and honey to kill us in a desert. Are you now going to rule over us? By calling them to his tent, they're calling it out as a statement of 
commandment that they have to come to him. And they say, no. In verse 14, they continue, you didn't bring us up to a land of milk and honey. You didn't give us the, 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 the vineyard and the field. We're not coming. I mean, that is a, that's a strong reaction here. Now, we've met these guys before. They're already difficult people among the people of Israel already at this point, but they're here. They got through the desert. They got through Mount Sinai. They crossed the sea. They got through the plagues. They were at the revelation. All those things happened. And now they're here. And they are, for lack of a better term, angry. Now, again, we can make a distinction and say this is simply the argument that they're using. This is not actually what they're arguing about. This is not really what they want. But this is the way to be most effective in this political moment is to sort of attack this. Because now the people of Israel are now, right, they're already a year plus into the desert, assuming this takes place in the second year and it takes place after the spies. So they're in the second year of the desert. They've just found out that they're not going into the land, that they're going to be in the desert for 40 years, and none of them are entering the land. None of them are entering the land. Moses at this point is. They are not. So they have what to say. The rebellion is fresh and it hurts and it cuts deep. And so they're not coming. And so Moses goes to them. In verse 25, in chapter 16, Moses goes to them. Now, we've never seen this before. We know where Moses is parked in terms of where Moses lives. He's living near the tabernacle in the center of the encampment. The tribe of Reuben, where these two gentlemen live, is not near there necessarily. It's in, obviously, it's not too far away. But Moses picks up from his tent, from the, from, from the, sorry, from the tabernacle. Lost my train of thought there for a second. And he goes to them. And he separates everyone away, moves everyone back from them on the, at the commandment of God. And he goes to them. And now, eventually, in verse 27, after he speaks to the crowd, they come out of the tent. So they're not outside when he arrives. They're not outside when he starts to speak. They come out afterward, and the Bible describes them coming out in a very specific manner, which is basically a manner opposed and against Moses. Rashi comments there, they come out standing upright. The idea being that they're going to mock and make fun of and diminish Moses in this moment, or even further, more than just Moses' God. And so this is, you know, mano a mano, man against man, this is them, you know, beating their chest in this moment. We know what happens after. But I want to, for a minute, flip it around, and then we're going to get into, uh, I know I'm running a little bit long on time on the story part here. It's such a power story. 
flip it over for a second, and this is part of the piece about the communication, which is really important, how to be a great communicator. Until this point, there is no addressing what they are claiming against Moses. When Moses commands them to come to him, there is no explanation there. They have no idea exactly what it is that Moses wants from them there. It doesn't feel like it's a conversation to be had. It could feel more like he's calling them to judgment where he is because we know Moses is the judge of the people. When Moses arrives at their tent, it's not 100% clear to everyone around as to what Moses' Moses' intent is in that moment. All he says is that everybody should step away from this group of people and from this tent. It doesn't feel like, other than him being proactive, which is super impressive and super important that Moses is proactive in this moment, he goes to them. It's not clear from their perspective as to what it is that Moses intends to do here in this moment with them, with the people that are around them. Like, it's not clear. What do we, what do you want? Is it going to be a conversation? We're going to stand up to you. Is it going to be a fight? You know, is it going to be some punishment? Like, it's not clear. And so this is sort of where I get off on sort of my side of this conversation with respect to becoming a great communicator appreciating that here there is a little bit of a gap in terms of what's happening and therefore it doesn't exactly work. We have to appreciate, there's a great quote from uh, Tony Robbins, which is this, to effectively communicate, we must realize that we are all different in the way we perceive the world and use this understanding as a guide to our communication with others. Well stated, Tony Robbins. Because we know that Often people hear, not the words we say, but the way in which we say it. And experience, not necessarily the words we say, but the nonverbals, The things that we're doing when we're speaking and not just what we're saying. And often, and this is another great quote that I saw, the single biggest problem, this is a quote from George Bernard Shaw, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. And so what we get here into this space is this idea that perhaps something was communicated to them and they missed it. Perhaps nothing was communicated to them and therefore they didn't miss anything. Perhaps Moses didn't actually want to say anything to them and they didn't hear anything, right? So there, what happened? There was a request, there was a command to come and like, how do we do that? What do we do with that here? And so what we need to sort of think about and appreciate in this space is perhaps, again, not in the space of Moses, but with respect to ourselves, how might we handle some sort of a situation differently? And so if we're coaching a situation like this, one is getting real clarity on what is the issue that's being argued here. Like getting deep. So if this is us, again, taking this out of the space of Moses and the Bible in that moment in the rebellion, that's not what we're experiencing in our own lives. But when we're having sort of a moment with someone else 
and there seems to be some sort of a lack of communication, or in general, we want to become a better communicator, we want to be viewed as a great communicator for ourselves, for our family, for our teams, for our communities. So first is establishing great clarity, really becoming clear around what it is that we're trying to say. There's something called the, the seven S's, sorry, the seven C's of communication, right? The seven C's of communication are clear, concise, concrete, correct, coherent, complete, and courteous. Cle Again, the first one is to be clear. That clarity is everything up the front. If you do not have clarity with respect to what you're saying, and then on the flip side, checking for understanding that it's abundantly clear as to what it is that you said, that they understood, you don't have anything. You can try everything else. But if you're not there, if you don't have that, you got nothing. After that also is, this, is, is the requirement not just of being clear in the speaking, but it's also being clear in the listening. So being great at active listening, really working the tool of becoming a more active listener, and then also reflective listening. Reflective listening is the checking for understanding. This is the exercise. Member of your team comes in, speaks his or her mind. Now, can you summarize what they said? Did you actually hear what they said? More often than not, you didn't. You heard what you wanted to hear, but you didn't hear what they actually said. And then in terms of the effect of how you go forward with that, so there's, again, there's clarity in your message, which is super important. There's clarity in the understanding, which is also value and super important. The ability to listen effectively, both actively and reflectively. And then asking the right questions so that you can clarify that message, that you can get to a real true understanding at its core what the message, what the issue is before you start running to answer. And then also very important are the things that you don't say, the nonverbals, the body language, the intonation of the voice when, when speaking, when listening what you're hearing, how you're hearing it. And then really seeking feedback from the people around you in those situations. Now, so, now we can work on your ability to become a more effective communicator in those spaces for sure, uh, around being able to practice your pitch and practice your messaging, understanding how your message is built and mapping out that message and understanding what's the problem you're describing and what exactly it is that you're proposing as a solution and you can, you know, what's your evidence for it and really break that down and build it up so that it becomes much more clear. You know, it's not what you're, what you did say, but we can compare what you did say to perhaps what you should say or how you should say that, right? These are all great things that a person can do to become better in their communication. It doesn't require verbosity. It doesn't require all kinds of adjectives. It doesn't require becoming a great orator. It's getting the message across, that the message is understood, that you are understanding where they are, 
in a clear and a concise manner that's repeatable, that is complete, that is correct and coherent, right? That, the, the seven C's. And when we're in that space, we can really use that for everything in any managed manner, manner in which we communicate, especially today. Because the spoken word is different than the written word. And the written word, I'm going to differentiate here, the written word is different than the texted word. Because maybe we write in paragraphs or we send emails in sentences, but we might text in words or emojis, and we're communicating there also. And so we might misinterpret or misunderstand what the meaning of the message is when it's sent that way, as opposed to when it's communicated directly with voice. And so here, that's for me, sort of the interesting piece here with respect to coaching with the Bible for this week. I know it went a little bit long and I appreciate you staying with me if you've gotten to this point. Congratulations to you. It's really important that we begin to understand how to become a great communicator, to learn from the story of Moses, to really work through our understanding of the story of Moses and Dathan and Abiram there and appreciate how that went down, how that was communicated, how that was not communicated, how they handled that, and perhaps what it is that we can do differently in that space, in that way, which leads us to our final quote of the week. This one comes from Simon Sinek, who I've quoted here before, starting with why. Here is his quote for the week. To end us off on our conversation about becoming an exquisite and great communicator, listening is not understanding the words of the question asked. Listening is understanding why the question was asked in the first place. Communication at its core, key to communication is your ability to listen, not just to speak, but also to listen. And when it is that you listen, when you seek, when you seek to, to, to understand here, you seek to be heard, first seek to hear. And so listening at the core, active listening, reflective listening, being concise, being concrete, being coherent, being clear, makes you a great communicator. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. Woo! See you next week. Have a good one.